the Biden administration's plan for space, and the ethical questions of exploration. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. The Biden administration held its first National Space Council meeting last week. Chaired by Vice President Kamala Harris, the group of cabinet members and space policy stakeholders helps steer the White House's space policy aspirations. The first meeting in Washington, D.C., focused largely on space junk and climate change. We'll speak with Space Policy Online editor Marsha Smith about the administration's space agenda and the path forward for President Biden's space program. Then, space junk caused by a Russian anti-satellite missile test forced space station astronauts to shelter in their docked spacecraft. While Russia downplayed the risk of the test, the U.S. government largely condemned the action. It's the latest space-based event highlighting important ethical issues when it comes to the use of space and the militarization of low-Earth orbit. To talk more about these questions, we'll speak with Brian Green, Director of Technology Ethics at Santa Clara University. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. Vice President Kamala Harris held the first National Space Council meeting for the Biden White House. The meeting outlined policy issues and priorities in space and focused largely on space debris and climate change. It's the first look at the administration's space policy priorities. To talk more about the issues facing this administration and its path forward, we're joined by Marsha Smith, who has more than four decades of experience in space policy and is the founder and editor of Space Policy Online. Marsha, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for inviting me. So the National Space Council met last week. This is the first meeting uh, of the council during the Biden administration. Uh, first, Marsha, give us a little bit of background. What is the National Space Council and, and what's its purpose? It's part of the White House structure, part of the executive office of the president. And it was created by law, the 1989 NASA Authorization Act. And under that law, the vice president of the United States is the chair of the Space Council. And so it's a way to get very high level attention to space issues across the board, across the government, and to get them you know, closer to the president, who is the ultimate decision maker in the executive branch. So it, it is a, a good way to raise the visibility of these issues and get them on the agenda, not only of the agencies people think of as space agencies like NASA and DOD and Department of Commerce, but also all the other parts of the government that rely on space. And uh, President Biden just added five more uh, to the list. So, you know, places like the Department of Agriculture, because agriculture uses a lot of remote sensing data. So mm-hmm. it's a way to get everybody's attention on these issues. Mm-hmm. And, and historically, has it acted acted as kind of like a, a, a steering uh, committee to, to get the president uh, and his space policy heading in one direction or the other? So this iteration of the Space Council, because there was one back at the beginning of the space program that President Nixon killed, but then when it came uh, back into existence in 1989, it was used by uh, President George H.W. Bush. But even though it's in law, that doesn't mean White Houses have to fund it or staff it. And so there was a long period of time when uh, presidents did not create a Space Council. So it was in existence for four years, you know, back from like 89 to 93 under George H.W. Bush. And they did a lot of different kinds of studies and everything. I'm not sure how influential it was in that era. Mm -hmm. But during the Trump administration with Vice President Pence, I would say it was very influential in in 
foot stomping this idea that you need a whole of government approach to space across the three major sectors, civil, commercial, and national security, and sort of looking at it as a whole rather than three different stovepipes. And so mm -hmm. everyone's waiting to see if the Biden administration continues that. Mm -hmm. And I recall during the Trump administration, it was a, a very highly publicized organization. Um, also something that was highly publicized and, and in the attention of, of most folks leading into this most recent National Space Council meeting was space debris and the Russian anti-satellite missile test um, that was on top of mind heading into this meeting. Uh, what came from the National Space Council about the issue of, of these anti-satellite missile tests uh, and space debris? Well, quite a few of the council members, including Vice President Harris herself, condemned the Russian anti-satellite test uh, because of its debris-creating uh, effect. And so others had already condemned the test here in the U.S., and so this sort of added to that uh, expression of dismay uh, that uh, anti-satellite tests are being conducted. And I think the most important thing was that the Deputy Secretary of Defense, Kathleen Hicks, actually came out and said the DOD wants basically an end to debris-creating ASAT tests. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the first time I've ever heard DOD come out and, and make such a statement because, of course, the U.S. usually reserves to itself the right to do these things. Right. And so it, it doesn't really talk about other it, putting bans on it or anything. So I think that this was a major step uh, for her making that statement. But it was mm -hmm. interesting that it, it was interesting it was DOD making that statement and not, say, the State Department. Right. I mean— you mentioned that that is the first time that that you think that that has happened. I mean, that must mean that this is a a, a pretty important step for for this administration, right? Well, yes, and again, it was just one of the departments making the statement. Uh, Vice President Harris did not call for that, gotcha. so we'll have to see what direction they go in on that. But certainly, this was a, a grave concern. And the fact that, you know, China did this in 2007 and the whole world was up in arms and this was a terrible thing to do. But then India did it and now Russia's done it. And mm -hmm. so it does seem as though, you know, there, there's no law preventing it. There's no treaty preventing it that says that you can't do this. And I, I do think that with all the debris and numbers of satellites and everything that's going on in Earth orbit that, you know, there is a limit. It's, space is huge, but mm -hmm. there is a limit. Right. Uh, Vice President Harris also announced a framework for the administration's policies moving forward. Um, what did that tell us about this administration's priorities when it comes to space exploration? I think it was a pretty nice, concise document. It's called a framework. It's not a policy. It's sort of setting forth what's on their minds now. It, it's almost hard to remember that the Biden administration isn't even a year old yet. It right. seems like <laughs> what is time, time is right? <laughs> I'm so distorted with COVID and everything. It's hard to keep track. But it, it, they've been in office what, for like 10, 10 and a half months or something like that. So I don't think we can really expect great big policy pronouncements coming out at this point. But I think that it did lay out, you know, what they're thinking is, what are the top issues? You know, these are the things we have to go after. And so it was nice that they put that out the same day as the Space Council meeting, because the Space Council meeting itself really focused on just three of those issues. Mm -hmm. And so the document gives you the, the broader picture of what the Biden administration is interested in. Uh, one of the things that the Biden administration is interested that we know of is, is climate change. It was a, a focus uh, of one part of the meeting last week. Um, Marcia, can you bring us up to speed on kind of what the priorities are for 
the Biden administration, especially NASA, uh, when it comes to uh, climate change and Earth observation? Well, I think that the the Biden administration has made it very clear that this is one of their top issues, climate change broadly, and they see space understandably as part of that and part of the solution in terms of getting the data and then using the data uh, to get more information about just exactly how the climate is changing and ways to mitigate it. And so I think that you know that's what we heard a lot of at the Space Council meeting and the fact that they added the Department of Agriculture and these other agencies to the members of the Space Council. And I think that the main message that Vice President Harris is trying to get across, and she went out to NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center to release the first images from the most recent Landsat satellite, Landsat 9, is that people need to have better access, faster access to this data, and they need the tools to be able to analyze the data. So I think that that's going to be one of her thrusts as chair of the Space Council is, you know, how do you get the data out to everybody who needs it and everybody can utilize it and get them also the tools to analyze the data to come up with answers. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, that was her first um, public appearance at uh, a NASA center, right? Was um, in Greenbelt. Does that does that kind of, you know, further prove the, the point that climate change and, and Earth observations are a top priority for this administration? Oh, I think so. And the fact that she went out there to release the first Landsat 9 image, I think, you know, really was foot stomping her interest in climate change. And of course, Goddard is very close to D.C., so it wasn't much of a trip. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I, I think that it was uh, very useful to highlight that this is one of her huge concerns. And of course, having it as one of the three topics at her first Space Council meeting further underscores that. Mm-hmm. But we have all the cool rockets down here in Florida, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'll get down there in the course of time. <laughs> so, Marsha, all these priorities, uh, or most of these priorities, will, will require funding from Congress, and, and you more than anyone understands Congress and, and space policy with your, your four decades of experience. I mean, do you see these aspirations and, and these priorities and, and this framework of this administration aligning with, with the agenda of lawmakers on the Hill? And of course, uh, that is the key to everything. So you can have all the policies you want, but for almost everything, you also need money to go along with it. And one very interesting uh, change that uh, I actually haven't had time to write it myself and I haven't seen others point out is that when President Biden put out this new executive order, we all focused on the fact that he added five new members to the council, but there's actually a little paragraph in there that's different and it gives Vice President Harris as chair of the Space Council, and if she wishes, she can delegate it to her executive secretary, Sherrod Parikh, the ability to make budget recommendations. So the previous council didn't have that as part of the responsibilities (laughs) of the chair. So she can make budget recommendations to implement the president's priorities and advise agencies on their budget submissions. Mm-hmm. So I found that to be a very interesting change. And, you know, we'll see we'll see if that makes any difference. But I think it's a lot easier if you if you take a policy and you can attach a budget to it and say, you know, this is what we're really going to need, because it's, it's the Office of Management and Budget, which is another part of the White House that actually pulls all the budget stuff together and makes all the trades as to what department, and what agency is going to get whatever. And then they send the request up to the Hill. Mm-hmm. But as you pointed out, it's ultimately up to Congress to decide how much money to put into these things. And that is always a battle. And I think, you know, NASA is very popular on the Hill. And I I think that NASA's probably going to do okay getting its money. DOD will be okay getting its money. 
it'll be interesting to see whether or not some of these other departments, like the Department of Agriculture, can get more money for getting data out to local communities, for example, and, and tools to analyze it, whether or not they want to pursue that in their own budget requests. Because you know the money has to go to agriculture, not to NASA, for, for that sort of thing. So it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But right now, NASA's, uh, excuse me, Congress is just struggling to get the FY22 appropriations done. It, never mind uh, what comes in future years. Mm-hmm. Um, another issue that NASA and this administration will have to contend with is the International Space Station, which is um, sadly nearing its end, possibly at the end of this decade. Um, a recent NASA OIG report found that there could be a gap in access to low Earth orbit. I mean, is the Biden administration and NASA doing anything to prepare for this potential gap? Well, of course, NASA is part of the Biden administration, and they just put out these three awards for the commercial LEO destinations. So NASA certainly understands the problem, and I think uh, the Space Council understands the problem. But it, it's an issue because people are still talking 2030. Mm-hmm. The United States still hasn't actually done that. And, you know, it's been on Congress's agenda for some time to just change that little uh, year in the law from 2024 to 2030. But I think because people have it in mind that ISS is okay until 2030, that it's hard to get them to focus on what's going to come next. It's just too far in the future with all the other problems that the country and the world are dealing with. I think it's easy for, you know, stakeholders and politicians to just say, well, we'll deal with that next year, we'll deal with it next year. So it's good that you know NASA has taken this step with the uh, CLD awards. We'll see how those turn out. But I do think that there is an overall appreciation of the urgency to ensure that the United States always has access to LEO platforms and to not lose US leadership in LEO to China, which is the only other country with a space station at this point. Mm-hmm. Marsha Smith is the founder and editor of SpacePolicyOnline.com. Marsha, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for inviting me. It was great fun. Still to come, the ethical questions of space exploration and militarization of low Earth orbit. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. I'm Brendan Byrne. Space junk caused by a Russian anti-satellite missile test forced space station astronauts to shelter in their docked spacecraft. While Russia downplayed the risk of the test, the U.S. government largely condemned the action. It's the latest space-based event highlighting important ethical issues when it comes to the use of space and the militarization of low-Earth orbit. To talk more about these questions, we'll speak with Brian Green, Director of Technology Ethics at Santa Clara University. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. So in your book, you you talk about examining space exploration through the lens of of ethics, and there's two questions you ask, right? Is it good, and and should we do it? Um, Let's let's start with uh, the Russian ASAT test that happened recently. Uh, I I think I know the answer to this one. Uh, Is it good, and should we be doing this? So, so this is this is a interesting one, right? Because obviously, from the from the large 
from the big picture perspective, this was not a good thing. This was a bad thing. Uh, from the perspective of Russia, they obviously thought there was something good happening here, which is why they did it. Uh, and they were, whether it was, you know, trying to, to enhance their deterrence or, or other, send some sort of signal to the international community. But uh, should they have done it, they really should not have done this because this is something that is going to create debris, long-lasting debris. It's at a high uh, orbital altitude. Um, and it is, has the potential that as these orbits decay, they will cross the orbits of many other satellites and potentially destroy those on the way down, thus potentially initiating a debris cascade. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about the importance of kind of examining these issues through the lens of of ethics. Make the case for me as to as to why it's important to kind of view space policy and space exploration, you know, with with this kind of ethical lens. So the the reason I think that ethics is really important when it comes to space is that space gives us the opportunity to do something that we have never done before. This is this is one of the biggest things that humanity has ever done. And so if we get that wrong, we're making a really big mistake. We really need to work on making sure that we're doing this right, because uh, I think that uh, most people uh, acknowledge that there have been a lot of mistakes in the past. History is full of terrible tragedies and and, uh, mistakes and things that have gone very wrong. And as we're going forward, we really need to think to ourselves, how can we make this better? Because everything having to do with space is dangerous. It's risky. It's very, very powerful technology that we're dealing with. And so uh, when you're talking about orbital speeds, for example, everything is in the kilometers per second ranges of speeds. And those are extremely deadly. And of course, there's no air out there. There's radiation out there. There are so many things that can kill people very, very quickly. And so we need to realize that as we're doing this, not only is safety very, very important, but also the idea that uh, if we're going to be moving to this in a large scale beyond just individual safety, but towards uh, communities and groups and perhaps even states uh, developing towards space, then we need to figure out how do we live together as a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some other things that we really should be paying attention to through this lens? In, in your book, you, you write about you know constellations um, or you know satellite constellations, the search for for life. Um, you know, what are some important topics that we really need to be focusing on on the ethics of them? Well, I think the immediate ones are space debris. Space debris has become a huge issue. Um, it's getting bigger all the time uh, as more and more satellites get up there. For example, the Starlink constellation is going to be absolutely huge. And right now, they qualify near misses in orbit as being when two satellites come within a kilometer of each other. Well, right now, 60% of those near misses are Starlink satellites coming within a kilometer of each other. Um, And as more and more of those satellites go up there, those near misses are going to become closer and closer. Now, the wonderful thing about the vacuum of space is that you can miss something by a hair, and it's not a collision. But you don't want to be doing that on a regular basis, because eventually they are going to start hitting each other. Um, So the space debris question is a huge one. The militarization of space is also a huge question right now. Um, And we really need to think about what are what are we trying to do? What what is the purpose of space exploration and the use of space? Is it really about, uh, you know, political posturing and trying to create a military advantage? Or is there an opportunity here for us to get beyond those sorts of issues into, um, you know, perhaps making a better future, which is less militaristically oriented. 
Mm-hmm. And how do you go about doing that? I mean, we have the Outer Space Treaty, but that's decades old. I mean, <laughs> how do you go about setting a policy, a global policy, that space is used for just good? Well, I think we need to take it seriously, first of all. Um, uh, there, there's a lot of need for an update to the Outer Space Treaty. As you said, this Outer Space Treaty is very, very old at this point. So much has happened in the last 50 years. So we really need to get on that and put some emphasis behind it. And I think that that uh, there's been a little bit of that. People have definitely been talking about this. Um, and perhaps some momentum has been building over time. But if we don't get on this fast enough, then we are really going to be endangering our future ability to explore space, either because there's too much debris up there or it's become so militarized that it becomes a concern for that militarization reflecting back on us here on Earth. And of course, those are only a few of the issues. There are much bigger issues also, of course, with the commercialization of space and Elon Musk wanting to go to Mars, for example, and Jeff Bezos wanting to set up free-floating colonies in orbits. Those are all really... Uh, exciting things that are happening in space, but uh, the Outer Space Treaty is inadequate for dealing with those sorts of commercial issues in space. One of the things that stuck with me in the book is 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 that question of you know is it good? And when you talk about these particular things, you mentioned with with the ASAT test, it was that was a good thing for Russia. Uh, when when you look at you know Starlink, well that that's a good thing for folks who can't get you know satellite or, or get internet down here on Earth, but. You know, it seems like that's a selfish way to look at things. And, you know, these particular developments are do have some some bad things that could happen with with these these constellations, as you mentioned. I mean, how do you, how do we get folks to look at, at what's happening in space kind of more globally or holistically as opposed to, you know, kind of silo like this is right for me. So we're going to go ahead and do it. So this is this is a really big issue. And I mean, the fundamental question of selfishness here versus the common good of all of humankind is one of the fundamental issues that we have to deal with here, because when we're dealing with space, all of a sudden, we're not so much looking at borders between countries on Earth, right? We're looking at Earth as an entire planet as and not just an entire planet, but an entire orbital space around the Earth. Uh, So, for example, if there is a debris cascade around the Earth, that is a disaster literally bigger than the Earth. And this is something that humans can do. We need to step back and say to ourselves, um, you know what? Even though Russia might, from a certain perspective, have thought that anti-satellite test was good for them, if they had just been thinking a little bit longer term, they probably would have recognized that actually filling orbital space with debris isn't good for anybody. It's, it's not good for Russia either. And so they need to just take a bigger perspective. Um, that might involve just being longer term or it might involve thinking more in terms of diplomacy, in terms of what countries are going to be friendly with me or unfriendly with me based on what what we're doing here. But it's something more than just a military decision. It's something more than just saber-rattling. This has genuine long-term consequences to it, uh, which affects all of humanity, including people in Russia. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the commercialization of space. You mentioned um, Jeff Bezos is wanting to, you know, take people to a... a, uh, you know, an in-orbit uh, community. Um, Elon Musk has, has made it very clear he wants to start a colony on Mars and, and go there himself. Um, and we're rapidly approaching these things. I mean, the technology that, that's needed to do these things is is coming online far quickly than I would have imagined. I'm not sure what, what you think. Um, are these ethical issues, these ethical, ethical questions, are, are they, they being left behind, left in the dust as, as this, <laughs> as this uh, development happens so rapidly? 
So I think one of the important things to remember about ethics is that there are always multiple values that are in play. And if you overemphasize one value, then the other values that are also important might end up getting downplayed. So, for example, I think it's important for, for humans to, to make permanent settlements off the Earth. I do think that is an important thing. So Elon Musk's goal of Mars, Mars might not actually be the right place for it. Maybe the moon is better or maybe these free-floating colonies that Jeff Bezos is suggesting might be better. The reason is because Mars potentially has native life forms. Now, they're likely microbes, if anything. Um, but we're not sure. We just don't know. We don't have the science for it. And contaminating that science by bringing a bunch of stuff there and including people because we're full of microorganisms um, is going to contaminate the Martian environment and potentially cause damage to it. And it's going to at least ruin the science, if not ruin the, the environment. Um, so there's a value there. There are two conflicting values, one of which is the scientific value of that uh, potential uh, life that's there. And the other, which is saving humankind, making sure that we don't go extinct, which is an extremely important value. We can perhaps still achieve that value of protecting human life if we settle on the moon or if we have a free-floating colony instead. So there are other ways to achieve that value without the, the uh, devaluation of potential uh, native life on Mars. Now, there are other things going on too, of course. Um, there are all sorts of other values in play. And those values include things like um, you know, the commercial value of space exploration. There are a lot of materials up there that are very valuable and we could find them to be of use, not just here on Earth, but in further space exploration. And I think that one of the things that we need to remember is that um, these, this interplay of values needs to be a balance, right? There, there's always, um, there's kind of the paramount value of maintaining human existence. So we don't want to drive ourselves extinct. That's very important. If we do that, no other value matters because we don't get any more choices after that point. Um, but the other values that are also involved with that are also very important. So whether it is extraterrestrial life or whether it is uh, being concerned about human life here on Earth in terms of poverty and people who are who are not getting resources directed towards them because we are directing these resources towards space instead, or whether it is spending money on military that could be spent on something else. Uh, there are always constantly uh, these values in tension with each other, and we really have to be careful about how we uh, go about maximizing one value and trying to get all of them at kind of an optimal level rather than putting too much into one while the others get minimized. Mm -hmm. The book is Space Ethics. Uh, Brian Green is the author and is joining us here today. Brian, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. That's going to do it for this week's show. If you missed any part of the conversation, listen back online or be sure to subscribe to the show's podcast feed. You can do that on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts, or you can visit wmfe.org slash yet? And stay listening. We've got a great show next week. We'll speak with Anthony Colangelo, host of the Main Engine Cutoff podcast, about all the latest news in commercial space, including Elon Musk's announcement of Starship launches at Kennedy Space Center and Astra calling Cape Canaveral home. We'll also speak with Paul Dye. He's the longest-serving NASA spaceflight director about his time keeping space shuttle astronauts safe. That's next week here on Are We There Yet? Are We There Yet? is a production of WMFE, America's Space Station. Editorial guidance this week from LaToya Dennis. Support for Are We There Yet? comes from our listeners. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.